This is episode 75 with Alex Fine. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. Hey everyone, I'm really excited for this episode of Crowdfunding Uncut. Um, when I was in Vancouver a couple months ago, my friend Megan passed me an article from Business Insider to say that these two lovely ladies, um, I only have one of them on the phone, Alex Fine, today, they have released um, the first ever sex toy on Kickstarter, which I didn't know until I saw the article um, was a thing. We know, you know, if you do a quick search on Kickstarter, that they have a huge list of things that they do not allow on their platform. And I never knew that sex toys was one of them. So it's really cool to, um, they had a great story, a great, uh, I'll let Alex get into it, but I just had to bring her on because after doing a little more digging into Dame products, realized that they've successfully raised over a million dollars through two campaigns. They've done Indiegogo, they've done Kickstarter and they've created this amazing brand, um, from Dame Products and like Alex, I'm so freaking excited to have you on the call today just to talk about your experience and and I'm sure we're going to learn so much from you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. So in terms of um, products and stuff like that, how long has Dame Products been around for? So um, my co-founder and I met in June of 2014. So that's like when we met, we pretty much joined forces the next day. Um, so we've been in business for a little bit over two years now. Um, yeah, and we've been shipping product for almost two years. We're getting close to that point. And when you first um, launched on, we'll get into like your two SKUs, but when you launched on Indiegogo, how many months did you have to ship? Did you ship fairly... Yeah. Okay. Afterwards or? Yeah. So first off, you know, um, I wanted to be a sex therapist for a long time, which is kind of how I got here. But my business partner, um, she's an engineer and she is really familiar with not just prototyping, no, but for, with designing for manufacturing, which is a pretty specific, you know, it's, I don't know. For me, it was kind of like mind blowing. Like you don't just design something; you have to design something in order for it to be made thousands of times. Um, and she was amazing. We we met in June. In October, we already had alpha and beta tests out there in the in the market. Um, she was very good at being like, Alex. I know that that sounds like an interesting idea, but. But if you want to get this done by this date, you know, we, we can't explore that route. We, you know, we need to keep it streamlined. You know, we have our one main feature, which is how the product functionally works. We're not going to do a remote. We're not, you know, we're just going to get it out there. So then by um, October, we launched and we promised, uh, and by promise, you know, estimated delivery by February, most people got them about a month late. Okay, that's not too bad. Because the average no, in crowdfunding world, it's like, almost early, but you know, it's still you, you set those dates because you hope to beat them. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's hard though. It's really. Um, why don't we back up a little bit? Because I'm I'm so excited. I'm getting a little ahead of myself with the questions. What so What are your products? What is Dame Products, and what have you raised online? So let's Let's just go back a little. Bit. Yeah. 
<laughs> we'll do that. You can, we can edit it later. So that question was first. <laughs> or not. <laughs> or not, you know, whatever. Um, so we are day products. We make toys for sex and we were started by myself. I wanted to be a sex therapist and my co-founder, Janet, who went to MIT for engineering. So with our powers combined, we're making better products at better price points, um, hopefully making the world a happier place, one vagina at a time. Um, our first product is Eva. It launched on Indiegogo in October of 2014. It's a hands-free clitoral vibrator designed to be worn by the woman during sex. Just gonna have to go check it out to really understand what that what that means. And uh, it raised about five hundred and seventy five thousand dollars in forty five days. And it's the world's most crowdfunded sex toy. And then just this past October, almost to the date, two years later, we launched on Kickstarter, Finn, which is a, a wearable vibrator on your fingers, and it's a really small product that you can kind of like we like to say it augments touch, so you can. Touch your partner with added stimulation, and that campaign closed out at three hundred and ninety-four thousand dollars. But in thirty days, which I have opinions on how long you should run your campaign for, um, but definitely keep it consistent. Don't don't do what we did. Um, if you do more than one, you know? what, do you, what do you mean by that? Keep it consistent. So, thirty days. Here, I will say, I think that like your crowdfunding campaign is, it's not just a way of getting capital. It's not even just a way of validating your product, which I think is actually probably the most important thing it is. Um, it's going to sit there forever and be a major marketing tool for your brand. It's what investors will look at. It's, what, it's just how a lot of people are forever going to be introduced to your brand. So people will say, you know, still talk about, you know, how much we went past our goal as if, as if a goal, sorry. Um, okay. So people will look at, and people will look at both of our campaigns and for those who don't dig enough, they'll, they'll see that the first campaign did better than the second campaign, but really they were over different um, time frames. Yeah, because did you do in demand? So, we did do in demand. And now that we've been in demand, we've done like another almost $300,000 through demand over, over two years though. It was, it's a slow trickle, but I mean, it's still, it's still pretty strong. You know, we've been able to you know, it's like a hundred thousand dollars a year essentially. So. Which is fantastic. Yeah. And like when you, I feel like I'm going to jump around all over the place here, but you did 45 day campaign and you recommend 30. What was it like running a longer campaign? Like I agree with I you. I don't know if I recommend 30. I recommend doing the same. If you do one campaign, mm-hmm. 45 days, Make sure the second campaign is also 45 days. That's what you meant. Okay. Why do you, uh, why do you believe that? Well, t- for me, I think that people are going to compare your campaigns against each other. Uh, so, okay. so like if you can keep all else equal, like, you know, I think something that's really great is if you look at my first campaign and then you look at my second campaign, you could see how, how far we've come as a brand, you know, we, we, um, the first campaign is very much your standard crowdfunding, low-budget video of a video of us really just talking. 
And, you know, by the time we did our second campaign, we had more of a brand message and a brand feel. And we knew, you know, we had a little bit of more money to put into the video. And now that video, you know, we're going to re-chop it up and use it for a billion other things. While the Indigo, in the Indiegogo video, you know, it's very much only for Kickstarter it's hard, or Indiegogo. It's hard to reuse that video because we're talking so much. It's not, it's not really the way you would uh, best practice or what we really want to be doing anymore. Yeah, I get that. With your second campaign then, so Finn, are you planning on moving over to Indiegogo for In Demand? Yeah, so... Um, we are there. I just don't see any reason not to do it for me. It's people are going to find out about our product still or the first campaign. Um, why not at least show them what we're still, what we're still doing. Uh, I love that Indiegogo offers that. I think that's like an amazing product for them. Um, and it really, it's just like, it's a great marketplace. I agree. And um, so, because I do various campaigns, um, crowdfunding specifically, obviously. Um, and with uh, the one question I get all the time is like, okay, is which platform should we go with? And I find it fascinating that you've started on Indiegogo with the first one, but then you did Kickstarter for your second one. I'd love to talk a bit about that to see why, what prompted the choice to go to Kickstarter the second time, and what are some of the differences that you saw between the platforms as a creator? Sure. Uh, so. I would say it's a, a major part. It, it, it's kind of it's a kind of weird truth, but being able to change the policy at Kickstarter was a pretty cool experience for us. You know, um, really felt like it's getting darker and darker. Uh, felt like being able to change Ominous. the policy at Kickstarter was a really um, amazing opportunity for us, something I'm like really proud of, also definitely helped with the PR. Um, so that was a major reason why we decided to go with Kickstarter. Plus, Kickstarter, it, from what we can see, I mean, they tend to raise more. They tend to just get more traffic. Um, and, you know, when it comes to whatever your conversion rate is, whatever, you know, however many people are getting your eyes on your product is really the most important thing. And would argue that a major reason why crowd, like a major benefit of crowdfunding are that these platforms are introducing your new product to users and Kickstarter has more users. Um, that being said, there were just some, uh, it, it's hard. First of all, they're just amazing people at all of them and they're, they're great. They definitely have slightly different ethos, um, which you can see immediately from just their policies, kind of how you mentioned earlier. And that kind of, um, it's kind of throughout, like the way Kickstarter is picky, um, it, it's kind of, you know, they also have their staff picks, which are, you know, you have to get that staff pick. And they have projects of the day and they have these things while Indiegogo you know, you're in your category and if you're doing well and also depends on your competition during that time, there's a, an algorithm that pushes you to the top and it's just that simple. So if you're doing well, you'll stay up there and you'll really get to be on the homepage in a way that you don't get to be on the homepage on Kickstarter unless people, um, in, unless somebody at Kickstarter chooses your product. 
So there's that. I really, it, it's so hard. If we were going to run a, a third campaign, I really like, I just don't know what I would do. You would go to Indiegogo and see what kind of terms you would get. Yes, I so would. I, I would. I'd go to Indiegogo and see what kind of terms I can get. I'd also go to Kickstarter this time around and say, hey, look, this time I want us to, you know, first of all, hopefully I could get my video to them faster, like, you know, so they could have more time to really approve it. You know, we're always scrambling at the last minute. Um, and get them to agree to give us a project of the day up front if possible. Um, I don't know if that's something that they would do. Um, yeah. And, and they were really great in that if I look at, it's hard because now I want to say from during our campaign, traffic that came through Indiegogo made up probably close to 30 to 35% of the campaign. It's, it's much, it, it's dropped. I don't know. It's at 18% now if I log in. And I don't know if that's gone up or down over time, but it's 18% now, uh, two years later. And Kickstarters was like 42% of our contribution came from people. Yeah. From I was going to ask you about that, um, about the numbers. Yeah. Uh, it's cool because you can actually go into, I don't know how well you could do it with Kickstarter, but with Indiegogo, you can actually go into your dashboard to see what the date ranges are. And I'm not sure if you could do that through sources of traffic, but that'd be really cool to see. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too, if your Indiegogo traffic actually dropped over time, because being in demand, you'd assume that that would skew the numbers of where the traffic came from. Right. You would think that then it would continue to pull from Indiegogo. But yeah, I I think so. But it's also maybe it's like harder for people to find there. And now people who are getting there are only because they came from an article in the past or something. You know, I'm not sure. Yeah, because you guys are actively selling on dameproducts.com, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That must be... um, Well, one thing I'm uh, I'm curious about is when... Because if... If I were you, and if I had seen that my product had raised a ton of money on Indiegogo, I would have gone back to them first to relaunch a campaign to say, hey, we did so well. What kind of terms do you think we could get? And even looking at Kickstarter, realizing, okay, you know, they have this policy, so I don't even know if we can get on. What, was, what prompted the choice for you to pitch Kickstarter on this policy change? So, well, a lot of things. One, the very first time we tried to run a campaign, we tried to run it on Kickstarter, you know, and we couldn't. Um, I would say I think what really prompted it was over the summer, Kickstarter had a, a hardware event that we went to. And, you know, we've got, we got to meet a bunch of people who work there and they were, you know, we would bring it up. And it, it, it was just kind of an interesting dialogue that we started having. And we were like, you know what? We should just pitch them. We definitely, I definitely thought that, and still do. I, I think that Kickstarter gets more traffic, and I and I still think that if the Kickstarter is on your side and they're willing to do all the stuff for you, that they just because they get more traffic, you should you'll get more attention and therefore do better. Um, on the flip side, the homepage is different. But I think that 
I don't know. Do you know what it is now? Like what the difference is between what they raise overall? <sighs> like the average campaign, what they Not raise versus campaign, just their, I mean, I know that if we look at, I mean, if you look at their top performing ones, usually Tixer does have the scheme to raise more money. Yeah. Um, Indiegogo, last I checked, hasn't published their stats page. I could be wrong. That's actually interesting to see or would be an interesting um, – because Kickstarter is really good at knowing and showing you, like, here are our stats overall for average campaigns and how much we've raised and what the best time of year are to do this. But I haven't seen a a side-by-side comparison of, like, Indiegogo's numbers versus Kickstarter. That would be amazing to see that because, like – yeah. I think I've seen them in yeah. the past and but they were all, they were a few years ago. They were pulling data from from the past, which means like and I think that Indigo I think Indiegogo is, is definitely giving Kickstarter a run for its money. They're they're trying to me. I've seen that the competitive edge with Indiegogo versus Kickstarter is how willing they are to help you. Like with the campaign that I currently have live on Kickstarter, we uh, knew where we wanted to go to Kickstarter and then Indiegogo approached us trying to get us to go with them. And we decided to elevate that by contacting the CEO of Kickstarter. And um, like he was great, but he they didn't get on the phone with us. They didn't offer support. They didn't offer strategy or like, and that's their competitive edge. And some would say that, yeah, because Kickstarter is this giant, it might be hard to stand out on. So depending on what kind of time of year you launch, it might be good to be on a platform that doesn't have that much competition. There's so many variables, you know? I agree with so many variables. It's really hard. Um, it's, it's really challenging, but I, I think that there's my gut, even though it's just a gut, is that like Kickstarter can be selective and that's why they don't do all of that stuff. Like it does, uh, it feels exclusive almost. I, I mean, it's not just exclusive. It's just like, we don't have that many spots and we know that we can we know that, I don't know. I, think I know we can be people, selective. Like, when I talk to investors, I'm, I'll be like, do people know what Indiegogo is? And they'll be like, no. And then I'll say, do you know what Kickstarter is? And then they know what Kickstarter is. It's more like just like the Kleenex of crowdfunding. Yeah, I agree. Just want to take a minute to thank Backerkit for sponsoring this episode. Head over to backerkit.com to find out how you can take advantage of their crowdfunding fulfillment software tool. They help you handle changes in customer data, uh, such as addresses, uh, customer surveys if you need to collect size or color information for preferences. They help you with product upgrades, which is awesome because you can actually get additional revenue from your campaign once it's, it's over. And the best part is they don't only deal with fulfillment of physical products. They also help you with the fulfillment of digital products as well. So to take advantage of a 50% off for crowdfunding uncut listeners, go to backerkit.com and at checkout, use the five digit code uncut, U-N-C-U-T to take advantage of this exclusive offer for you guys. With regards to, I noticed that you, your product, um, not your product. Yeah. Finn just finished its funding December 3rd, I think. Yeah. I'm curious, did you see any, um, cause if you look at when is okay to launch t- 
traditionally campaigns that launch in Q4, so between October and January, have a harder time getting funded, uh, like about 10 to 15% lower on average than campaigns that launch in the first quarter of the year. Did you run into any issues having it so close to Christmas? No, we thought, I mean, for our first Indiegogo campaign, we were like, we saw a big bump on Black Friday. Um, We did like a little Black Friday sale and it was really helpful. So we thought like, oh, that's great. We'll line it up again. Um, I mean, it also, it just had a lot. We wanted to do it earlier, you know, product prototyping got a little bit behind. So you're kind of just also at the whim of your product development. Um, but our first experience was that it was good to launch when people start doing their holiday shopping. Um, we also on the, also this time around knew we'd be able to, our product is, should be on the plane now and getting here, you know, either maybe even Friday if we're lucky, but definitely Monday. And then of course, if, as long as it gets past the FDA, which if it doesn't, then we're totally screwed. But we think we can get these to people before Christmas. So it, it was, you know, it's risky for our backers. They know that we're a crowdfunding campaign and we might not, but since our delivery date was December, I think that also maybe helped. Um, but then also it was challenging. It took away from our website during Black Friday. Um, you know, cause where do you direct traffic when you have two channels on? I mean, what, one period, right? Like yeah. where, do you, where, when you have two channels on, it, you have to, to, our feeling was like, you got to do one campaign at a time as much as you can. And that was the campaign and that's what we were running. And that's what we were trying to push people towards. Um, it's much harder. You can't AB test. I can't like the analytics, um, aren't there as much as they, even though like you can hook up either of these campaigns to Google analytics and you can get a good amount in there. Um, but it's still not as strong as just being able to control everything on your website and, do split testing and really learn. I wish that Indiegogo and Kickstarter started treating this like internet marketing style of split test you can do. Indiegogo is introducing uh, landing pages and stuff, but man, I mean, that information would be invaluable to know if your campaign is converting because you'll know exactly why it's not or why it is. (sighs) And also you're like starting your brand. So, I mean, like, look, you could have a great product and just have the wrong messaging. Like, that's, I think it, it usually happens the other way around. I think product is the most important thing. It's either a good product or it's not. And then you need either good messaging or not. But sometimes one can carry the other. And it's like your first time really speaking to the general population and to be able to test it out would be really, I think, a huge benefit to startups that are looking at these platforms. Did you run into any issues when you, because your very first launch on Indiegogo is the birth of your product. Did you run into any issues with positioning or your messaging that you had to quickly change or did you guys get it spot on? Um, no, nothing. I mean, it's hard to know if we got it spot on. I don't think we even have it spot on yet. Um, but, and visually we had no idea what we were trying to say, honestly. Like, but we, 
spend a lot of time with that copy, um, spent a lot of time with the, with the script. And I think we mostly got it spot on. I think, I mean, any, any blog you read about pitching a product to investors, to people, you know, it always comes down to like, what's the problem that you're solving? You know, like state the problem, state the solution, how your, and then state how your product solves that problem. And it's just that simple. And we really stuck to that for the first one. And um, I think it was really effective. While I would say our second video was a lot more about like feelings and emotions and just like a visual experience um, that has, you know, hope, like the problems in there too, but it's just not as, you know, formulaic. Right. I'm wondering how you tested to, because one thing I do with uh, my clients is when, instead of guessing, because you need to start by guessing what the positioning and the angle and the messaging, but then you want to test that by actually speaking to people and doing customer interviews or putting your copy in front of people who will buy your product. Um, What sort of things like that did you guys do to make sure that you were getting your messaging and your scripting okay? Well, yeah. So the things that we did were so much more focused on the product. So like we did a lot of product testing um, and, you know, people got to try the product. Did they like it? Would you buy this product? If you saw this product, um, how much would you buy it for? If it was X amount, would you buy it? Um, and we did a lot of that kind of testing beforehand. So I think we, so good. I think we felt really confident that this was a product people would buy, that it was really different for Eva for the first product. Um, I think like when we asked people in those, in our initial like surveys, like um, if you saw this product in a store, would you buy it? Like based on just like what we're saying, not, you know, um, and it was something, it was like above 85%, which is like in, which is pretty crazy. Um, of so course, good. We collecting money. So, you know, yeah. you know, until you know, but now we have a little bit more experience and that's like a, that's a, that's a very high number. That's hard to beat. Um, as far as just like a concept that people want. Um, and I think that gave us a lot of confidence. And then as far as, you know, the messaging goes, we, you know, we still haven't tested some, some of our hypotheses out, but it was about sex, which is a real, which is really sensitive. Um, so we just wrote what we wanted to say and how, and how we wanted to say it. You mentioned surveys. How, how did you do these surveys? Like, yeah. Yeah. What is that? We did, we did do some stuff online. Like we, we did, we did some price testing online and some image, like product imagery testing online uh, with, with, a, with SurveyMonkey for like a few, like a hundred, like a few hundred bucks. Um, it was like just to random people, right? Random people. Yeah. yeah. Like we paid. So it wasn't just within our friends because of course that would not have been as effective. Um, and then with the other surveys with the products, it was, it was a printed out survey that you would get when you got a prototype and you know, you'd send it back when you sent the prototype back. I mean, it had marketing questions in there as well as just general product questions. Ooh, I love that. But yeah, it wasn't like, you know, but it was more like market for product development. Like 
market, there's like market research for, are you liking this product? It's still market research. Um, and you know, not as much of like, does this, is this copy better than this copy? Like something that like, for example, we do, and I, and I kind of, I don't know. We're, I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about it. But so, yeah, because I'm just, I'm trying to wrap my head around this process where, because yeah. SurveyMonkey does have that where you pay, I don't know, say $300 to get a random sample survey sent out to random people that fits some demographic that you're looking for. And you ask them a few questions. One of those questions being like, you know, what do you currently struggle with? in this industry, what products are you currently using in this? What's the one thing you love or hate about this? And then mm-hmm. what yeah. if we could present a solution that did X, Y, Z? Would, would that be something that interests you? Yes or no. If it is, how much would you pay for a solution like that? Right. Um, so is that what you did to validate it or? Yeah, that's very much what we did. Um, I, we also had some research that just had been done, like just knowing what percentage of women prefer this kind of stimulation wasn't something we asked. It was something we had read about and, and knew from, from science. Um, That's so cool. Being yeah. a sex therapist. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, or just like, it wasn't really like, you know, my, my background is more in psychology with this, like, a, so it was really like just from reading a lot and being a nerd. Yeah, I love uh, it. <laughs> Yeah. That's so good. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, it was challenging though for us with SurveyMonkey because people can opt out of your survey. And because of the nature of the product, you know, we were saying, hey, do you own a vibrator? If you own a vibrator, like what vibrators have you purchased? All that kind of stuff. Um, if people felt uncomfortable and they like opted out, we would still have to pay if like they started the survey. We ended up, we had to pay more per person because of like the, the nature of the product. Did you use their data to build an email a list or did you just keep it completely random? We kept it completely random. Cool. Okay. Now we have an email yeah. list that we would, we definitely do that with. Like yeah. we'll send people questions. Um, and then you just always know that the bias is that these are the people that buy from you. And that's certainly a bias, but that's also like kind of the bias you want. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I guess one of my last few questions is when you, because you created Dame Products off of crowdfunding and you successfully launched campaign number two off the back of the first one. Um, how much of, like, what did you do? Did you use your current audience uh, to help you get quick momentum straight out of the gate for the second one? And how did you do it? Yeah, we have our newsletter which has some of the indiegogo supporters but not all of them um because we really didn't opt in on that side which i don't know we should do but we also went back and did another indiegogo update for anybody on indiegogo and gave them the link to the kickstarter page and let them know about it there um but for us what we always find is just it's about getting press on day you know getting press in the first few days and we did, so we did embargo pitching, which was really helpful. Um, getting, just getting a few things lined up. Embargo pitching implies you send people product in advance and get them to review it. And or yeah, what does that mean you, it can be that, it, it, but it really means it's like, Hey, we're going to pitch you and tell you about this thing, but you can't actually write about it until X date. Um, like, are you super interested? important? Yeah. Right. 
So um, that's what that means. And in our case, we had prototypes, but not full products for product testing, um, which is really challenging because there are some journalists out there who, who understand what prototypes are, but it's not really, like for us, when it comes to sex, you are so, judge, you judge a full product, you know? If it's the wrong color, it's going to really impact your experience. Yeah, I agree. Um, so what, how did you pitch then? Because here you are, you're releasing the second one. Like, did you just go off the angle of where the, like, first Kickstarter campaign for sex products or like? And, was- and the product's awesome. You know, it was that and the product's awesome. I haven't tried it, but I assume it's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. Great yeah. reviews. <laughs> it's a really cool product. It's, um, it's really versatile. You can wear it on your hands. Um, and I think that there are, there are products like while Eva was told, like there's nothing out there that's really like it, this product, you know, it's a little bit closer to what's already out there, but it's, um, better. <laughs> it's really easy to get on and get off, which is something we always find when we talk to people, like think about, you know, when you were single or if you're single, how much putting on a condom can just ruin the mood, you know? putting on a sex toy or getting a sex toy out can really impact the experience. So we wanted to make something that was easy to put on something. We're we're always able to make things more powerful than I think a lot of our competitors can usually make them. We do medical grade silicone versus food grade silicone and it's rechargeable. So it really is unique in its feature set, the way it's worn um, and like the, the power Versailles is optimization and yeah you know people were excited about that so you really just drove how drove home how unique the product is in terms of features yeah yeah and also because if you look at just about any of the articles most of the headlines are about us being the first sex toy in kickstarter and yeah you know we knew that was going to happen. We're also trying to get them to talk about how awesome the product is too. Um, but we knew that was going to happen because that's clickbaity. That's something that's interesting. That is more newsworthy than any, any sex toy we could have made pretty much. I think not. Well, that's why we're here because of a yeah. clickbaity title that my friend sent me. Right. Right. I mean, and that gets people to the site and that helps, you know, your crowdfunding campaign immensely. Did you run into any issues pitching that it was a crowdfunding campaign? Um, yes, there are definitely like certain, like art, certain, certain publications now who all of a sudden are like, Oh, we don't cover crowdfunding campaigns. Like a new thing, I guess. I feel like it's, because of all the negative press around crowdfunding, this is just my opinion, but because there's so much negative press around crowdfunding campaigns not delivering, they don't want to be the guys that covered it two years ago just to have it go bust two years from now, right? Yeah. It's so. crazy, you know? It's crazy how many of them don't, don't succeed. They can succeed as far as raising money and not succeed at delivering the product. Um, Why do you think you guys succeeded in delivering the product? Yeah. For starters, Janet Lieberman is like the most amazing human being in the world. Um, Co-founder. Yeah, she's she's really, you know, um, knew what she was doing and was really helpful. She like went to China and made sure things were happening the way 
she wanted them to happen. Um, and I also think that we were both really on this, like both really understood what your MVP, you know, your minimal viable prototype, which is really more of a software thing, but you can totally apply it to hardware. Um, you know, you see companies all the time that are like, we just want to make sure that this is perfect before we send it out to you. And I think that's where you start to run into trouble. And that delays everything. Because it delays um, everything. costs more money to make it perfect. There's no such thing as perfect. You can make things perfect forever. So at some point, it needs to be good enough that it fulfills what you promised it would. Um, and then from there, you know, you can, now we're working on Eva 2 and we're making it better. I love how at the beginning, um, before when I just went on some tangent, you're, you mentioned that she specifically said no remotes. We are focusing on the number one use of it and not all the bells and whistles that go along with the product. Yeah. I think that's a common mistake that many creators will make because you're right. They want it to be the best and they don't want it to be something with just one little feature because how can you charge for that? But you have to look at it in terms of complexity of, okay, well, if you have five features on this thing, how much is it going to take for you to actually perfect those features and get something to, to market? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, um, debugging, you know, it's hard to really know how long these things are going to take. And with crowdfund, you know, like it, crowdfunding is new. I think crowdfunding is amazing. My company wouldn't exist if it wasn't for crowdfunding. Um, but when you're making a promise about delivering something that, you know, you've only done a prototype with, you really, that, that's pretty impossible to do. You're really estimating. There's so many things that are up in the air. Um, and I think that I just don't know what's really happening with a lot of these, with a lot of these uh, companies. I, I don't, I mean, I guess like the, the coolest cooler, what they went to go find out their pro- Did they ever deliver? Mm, they're in the process of figuring that out right now. Dude, that's like crazy because it's been a long time. Yeah, because Scully, um, I don't know if you heard about that, but the motorcycle helmet, like they just yeah. went bankrupt. Um, they did. They had raised, and they raised so much money too on top of just. Yeah, because you know what it is like. I've um, just being a crowd, like podcaster, like I come across a lot of campaigns and what it is is you have a prototype and you haven't estimated your cost properly so you haven't brought yeah. developed that to a point that's far enough to reasonably know what your cost per unit is going to be your shipping you're super um a newbie and you just don't know what your costs are so you just estimate oh yeah well, we need 50 grand to make this thing happen and then you raise 150 and you realize, okay, once you get this money, all of a sudden you have to pay for inventory up front. You need to pay for shipping. You need to pay for development. And your budget hasn't allowed any room for error if in development. And so they realize afterwards that they need to go for all this extra money because they weren't far enough along in the development stages. So I feel that it's based... If you didn't have Janet, you may have had a very difficult time creating a company and delivering on time. But because yeah. you had someone in your court who knew what the hell they were doing, and that's, I think, why many campaigns don't make it to market. Yeah. I think also having your suppliers lined up before you even launch, like really know, getting those quotes um, is really helpful. I think that or 
you know, I struggled because I also love the idea of like running a crowdfunding campaign at like from day one, you know, just to validate, even if you should put the money into prototyping. Um, cause I think people don't, people, people aren't buying into these things knowing that they might have to wait a while. Like I will say, I don't think the fact that this time we're shipping a, within one month versus last time when it was three or six months, like this time it's either one or three months. Um, I don't think that made a huge impact on people, on the conversion rate or anything. People, they're, they're coming to these sites, they understand what they're doing. Um, and whether it's one month or s- six months, it just doesn't matter to them. I as long think as they get it. <laughs> as long as they get it, event, right. They're just going to start getting pissed at a certain time frame, no matter what. Oh man, um, I agree. Yeah. And you know, you know what? We put our, we put our target at 50K and we knew that that wasn't enough. Like if we had hit 50K in Indiegogo and hadn't gone past that, we would have had to raise money. And we were well aware of that going in. Um, we had people that were kind of interested. Um, I'm, I'm going to, Sorry, and uh, but that was like kind of a risky move on our end. Um, it's just challenging because your goal impacts so much beyond just what you need. As you said, the algorithm. So it's a fine line between how how low you go without screwing yourself. Right. You right. want to go as low as possible. Without. Want, and also people yeah. be like, oh, you, right. You want to go as low as possible without totally screwing yourself over. Exactly, which is really hard to do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just, no, that's crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. But you had an amazing support group. And I think that you had really good expectations going into it with what you were doing. And I think yeah. that's where a lot of creators mess up is they just see crowdfunding as a way to print money. Right. And they don't see the long-term impacts of it or even see this as creating a business, which is like what I'm advocating for. Yeah. I also think that early brands, people like, you know, especially if you raise money after doing a crowdfunding campaign, like I think if I remember Scully's video correctly. Like it was a pretty beautiful and like, I feel like their video was a solid video, was not a cheap video. Um, people want to be perfect from day one and that's, expensive and unrealistic yeah so So, people i think you got to be comfortable with compromising and it it not being perfect you know just make sure you know the things that that are core to your brand or core to the value that you're offering are there and that's kind of yeah man i feel like i could talk to you for hours yeah but I'm going to wrap it up with one last question. Um, do you have any famous last words for other creators? Um, I don't. Oh my gosh. You've given so much good information. Say, you know, <laughs> I think you need at least three months to plan a, cra- a, a solid crowdfunding campaign. You, you can't do it in less time than that. You don't want to do it in less than that. I love hearing that. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. Well, where can we you find out? Uh, you can totally slap it together, but it it's won't just be. not going to be. No. Yeah. So where can people um, find out more information about you, what you're doing? Yeah. Um, we are our, our home on the 
World Wide Web is dameproducts.com. Awesome. Um, there you can find, you know, our Facebook page, which is backslashdameproducts.com, Instagram or dameproducts.com. But the newsletter is really always the best way to stay up to date on what, what we're doing. Love it. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So uh, thanks so much for your time. This has been amazing. Um, yeah. I need more girls on this show because I swear it's like one in 10 females out of I mean, like just what it's like out there. The startup the world. world, whatever. So I'm actually doing yeah. right after this, I'm going to talk on a women in manufacturing. Well, have fun. I think yes, I'm excited. I should go to that, but you're not in Toronto. So yeah. are you Toronto-based? <laughs> I am. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, Where, what city are you in? I'm in New York, so I mean, actually really far, but also not too far. It's all relative. I should be in New York in the spring, so I'll hit you up. Hit me up. Because all I knew, based on articles, you're three blocks from the Kickstarter headquarters. So, (laughs) New York, of course. So, yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much. This has been fun. Yeah. Bye. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launchpad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launchpad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launchpad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.